Rocking the Academy is a podcast that's changing the future of higher education. Your hosts, Mary Churchill and Rupika Rizm, bring you conversations with the very best truth-tellers who are formulating a different vision of the university. Do they rock the boat? Yes. But in doing so, they rock the Academy. On this episode of Rocking the Academy, your hosts, Mary Churchill and Rupika Rizm, discuss their favorite moments from Season 1 and offer a preview of Season 2, premiering in February 2020. Hi, listeners. Thanks for joining us for the inaugural season of Rocking the Academy. In this episode, we'll be chatting about our favorite moments and highlights of the season and previewing season two. It went by so quickly, and it was so much more fun than I thought it was going to be. So thank you for your engagement and your feedback throughout the whole process. So Mary, what themes did you see emerging across this season's episodes? You know, it's interesting. I think there were several themes, but one that I kept being reminded of again and again is that we're in this legacy system that is really dying and being dismantled at the same time that the same people who are dismantling it are also guarding it and maintaining it. So it's a, it's a challenging space. I think of things like 15-week semesters, discipline-based departments, the fact that we still measure seat time, that we're competitive rather than collaborative, and especially this tenure system of privilege, which was a repeated theme throughout our conversations. They just don't work for the most of the faculty and, and or the students. I also think that we saw glimpses of a future of education that might look very differently. At the same time that we were making this season, I've been going through this process at the College of Education and Human Development at Boston University Wheelock College, where I work. Um, and we have been engaged in this semester-long process of trying to define our North Star, our Guide Star, our mission. And our college combines education and human development. So I've been asked again and again this semester to reframe education through the lens of human development. And I feel like a lot of what we heard from folks we talked to this season was about the limitations of viewing education as just simply teaching or learning or research, but they're not taking into consideration that it's this human beings doing this work. How about you? What was your favorite insight? <laughs> well, I mean, in many ways, it's quite similar to yours. Something that was really eye-opening to me was Katie Pryle's articulation of how difficult that university policies can make the disclosure process for staff and faculty who are seeking accommodations because of disability. So she had her story of a random person on the phone asking, what's your disability? It was really, really shocking. I think that her book, Life of the Mind Interrupted from Blue Crow Books is, is incredible, both in laying out that problem and also in posing solutions for how to make a much more humane academy. And I also felt like Paula Krebs completely spoke to me when she said that if we can't find space within our institutions to do the work we want to and the work we care about, then we can find ways outside of our institutions to do it or even outside of our job descriptions. And I feel like so much of what I do is outside of my job description and, and that can be really frustrating. But having Paula recognizing the power that those of us have if we're in the position to do that is so important. I agree. I kind of, in reflecting on this season, I kept coming back to Paula 
and she was our first episode. And, and thinking through, she's got this amazing perspective. She's coming from a leadership position that she held within higher ed, and now she's got this leadership role within the Modern Language Association. So she not only sees the challenges we face, but she has a great position to see some of the really creative solutions that we can come up with. And I am constantly referring to her cross-sector work at teaching at a teaching intensive institutions. And I refer to that constantly. And it's impacted the work I do, thinking of how we can cut across institutions and sectors. And building on that, I think our conversations with Alex Heal and Shyler Esprit push that even further. I've been doing a lot of talking to folks about how the walls of higher ed need to be more permeable. And both Shyler and Alex spoke to that. Alex through the work with local prisons, Shiler through her work with K-12 system. These are really amazing models that I would like to see us take to scale. But I also think we saw some, some of the really dark side of higher ed, right? So switching gears, what do you think were the darkest moments in some of this first season's episodes? You know, I went on the record saying, this got really dark, Mary, a, a number of times. I think one of those... <laughs> I know you're like, dig me out of this hole. <laughs> uh, one, one of these moments was when Kelly Baker was discussing the university as a system, as one in which the person who complains just so easily becomes the problem when the institution itself is the problem. Yeah. And it's so true, right? Uh, these institutional yeah. structures can become a force against critique or against dissent. And, and these are the kinds of reasons we need whistleblower protections. But then I, I see that someone like Kelly and our other guests, they're using their skills as people who study institutions to really help us think together about how we can change them. So I really appreciated Kelly, um, particularly her book, Sexism Ad from Blue Crow Books, because she takes her training in religious studies and she uses it to, to deconstruct and to think about how to dismantle the stranglehold that institutions can have on us. And it's December and I'm about to go on sabbatical. So I'm thinking about that stranglehold quite a lot. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you say, you mentioned Kelly, because I think that she really highlighted this position of trying to go against the system and maintain the system at the same time. And in each individual actually does this because if we're inside the system, we want it to continue. I mean, we want to continue to have our jobs, but we at the same time want to change it. So it's a, it's a challenging space. She articulated that very well. I thought Alex Hill also did a good job of, of talking about this when he was pointing out that doing radical work in the academy and fighting for equity and justice is risky. And it's not a decision to be taken lightly. And this really, this is something that resonates with me because these are the kinds of calculated risks that I, I think about all the time. And it's something that he and I talk about frequently. I'm actually writing a book about higher ed right now where I address some of these, these ideas of academic insurgency and doing this risky work. And over Thanksgiving, my sister said, are you sure that you should be writing that book if you want a career in administration? And I said, I don't care. And then my mother was was completely horrified. Mom wants me to make more money. Uh, of course. And she wants you to keep your job, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we got to do what we got to do, right? And, and Alex right. is the kind of person who's, who's going to do it anyway. And, and we need all those people we can get in higher ed. 
just recently, he, along with Katerina Gonzalez-Seligman at Emerson College and Raj Chetty at San Jose State University, have organized Ethnic Studies Rise, which is a response to the tenure denial of Dr. Loria Garcia-Pena, and, and also attention to the broader issues of tenure denial and risk for scholars of ethnic studies. So this week, they're actually running a digital roundtable. It's going to be published on their website, and they're doing a Twitter chat on, on Friday at hashtag LoriaFest. So, you know, there's a lot of bravery we keep seeing in, in spite of of the danger. Okay, the darkest moments for me were in Katie's interview. It just reminded me, it was a stark reminder. She took me right back to my undergrad time. And I think of the ways that higher ed has failed so many of our brightest students. And uh, so I was an undergrad in the 80s. And I, I don't even think that my institution made any attempts at retention. And they didn't need to. That wasn't the model then. I, I think it's changed somewhat now, but students left in the first week, the first month, definitely the first semester. There were no safety nets, and it, and it never felt like anyone was there for you. It was really, it was like the Hunger Games, right? You were on your own. <laughs> you, had, you were trying to get the resources, and you were trying to make it, but people were eliminated, and they never came back, and you just moved on. And I think that it just reminds me of what I said earlier about viewing someone as a whole person. And, and I think as we push into the future of higher ed, some folks are getting more, more narrowly defining what we do as just teaching. They're not really seeing that education, the way we do it and when, it ha when it's done well, is transformational. And we say that. And so that to me, it's we know that it's developmental. We know that it's more than just rote memorization or learning how to do certain calculations. And so I think Katie really brought this up in her areas of study because she talked about uh, creative writing and law school really forcing her to dig deep. And she reminded me of assignments I've given to my students where we ask them to do all this soul searching, this reflection, and then we give them a letter grade, 15 weeks is up and we move on. But we don't have the infrastructure around them to support what's going on for them socially and emotionally once we take them to that space. I think that several of the folks we talked to this season spoke to that. And so I see hope in this next generation of scholars who are not limited by the borders of our institutions, but also not limited in seeing education as just teaching and learning, but as transformational and as very human-centered. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that that came out in these episodes this season, because I think that's the kind of work that has a lot of hope for changing the future of higher education. When we look at our guests, for example, Lee scholar Bissett, her journey has been so inspiring, uh, so transformative by you know, access to technology. Brian Alexander, who's just crafting a vision for the future of higher ed in his new book, Academia Next, from Johns Hopkins University Press. And there's the fact that our guests are the people who still keep working and still keep critiquing and still keep making change and still keep fighting, right? Still keep rocking the academy in spite of all the challenges that they encounter. And that's really inspiring. And, and for me, in many ways, I also feel like this season was about the power of friendship and of connection and of collaboration. We see that, Mary, just in, in us working together. I've, I've known you for so many years. And of course, in that there was that time you were my graduate dean. And we're finally collaborating on something. I know. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, so many of our guests are people we've built friendships with or connections to yeah. or they're friends of the future, we hope. And, you know, they're the, these are the people whose work inspires me and has inspired me for 
what, over, over a decade now. So I'm really hoping that next season will bring us even more connections, particularly as we feature guests who are mostly new to us. I know. It's so exciting. Well, you, you, you know, you realize when you're doing a podcast, um, and we just started this two months ago, right, that it's so fun and, and people want to have these conversations with you and they want to have them in a very public way and share them with a larger listenership. So that is very cool and not something I realized was going to happen beforehand. I am really, really excited about season two. We've lined up some amazing guests. We'll be talking with Chris Newfield from UC Santa Barbara about his work related to the defunding of public higher ed, something near and dear to both of our hearts. We'll be talking to our friend Eve Solomon Fernandez, president of Greenfield Community College here in Massachusetts. She's going to join us and talk about the challenges and opportunities she faces as a leader of a rural community college in the 21st century. We'll also be talking with Kathleen Fitzpatrick from Michigan State about her newish book, Generous Thinking, A Radical Approach to Saving the University, which Rupsi has read and I plan to dive into over break. Thank you to Greg Britton from Hopkins for sending me a copy. I'm also excited about our conversation with Ashley Gray. I met Ashley originally through the American Council on Education's Women Network and Moving the Needle Initiative. She's a research analyst at ACE and a PhD candidate in higher ed leadership and policy studies at Howard's School of Ed. And I know she's got a lot to say about race and gender. So I'm really excited about her fresh outlook on the future of higher ed. Oh, it's going to be such a good season. I can't wait till we get to talk to Raven Stringfield, who runs the Black Girl Does Grad School blog. We're also going to get to talk to Lavelle Porter about his new book, The Black Academic Life, which was published by Northwestern University Press this year, and I devoured that book. I loved it. We'll also have Katina Rogers, who's doing fantastic thinking about careers beyond the professoriate, and she has a book coming out next year from Duke University Press called Putting the Humanities PhD to Work, and I really cannot wait to read it. And we'll also be hearing from Maria Maisto, who has made tremendous contributions to improve the working conditions of contingent faculty. It's kind of overwhelming. (laughs) When we list it, it's like, wow! And Maria was a recommendation from Lee Scalarip-Bissette. I'm hoping that season two's guests will also recommend great folks for us to invite on season three. But feel free to email us, tweet us, however you find us, and give us recommendations for season three as well. So we hope that you have a relaxing winter break and be sure to join us in February for season two of Rocking the Academy. You have been listening to Rocking the Academy, where Mary Churchill and Rupika Rizm bring you conversations with the very best truth-tellers who are formulating a different vision of the university. Catch more episodes at simplecast.com.